welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Hello. <laughs> I've been trying to hold in a laugh. <laughs> what was the laugh for? <laughs> for whatever we were talking about beforehand. Oh. It was good stuff. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Can't complain. I uh, had a, you know, decently busy week. Uh, but y- you had a pretty good week at work. Yeah, I did indeed. And you, it looks like you got a, a pretty good day in Stockton. You got a haircut. I did get a haircut. What do you think? I got a few of them cut. <laughs> <laughs> it looks... Which ones? <laughs> As I always say, since I'm not a dad, I call them uncle jokes because I am an uncle many times over. So... Um. Uh, it looks good. It looks good. Thanks. I, I, I do notice the door behind you is open, and I don't know if that is. That's a closet. Ah. Yes. So I didn't know if it was detrimental to the to the recording. It, it's not, but that's a good eye. Good, good looking. Yeah, no. Uh, the room, once again, this room doesn't have the best acoustics, but that's why I bought this little sound, uh, like, mini recording studio kit. So I actually have, like, a little barrier around my mic that is supposed to stop kind of that outside ambient noise echoing you could say it, it sounds like you're in a an enclosed sound studio excellent and this, this this is week three week three week four this is our fourth attempt with this new microphone the first one was great uh-huh. second and third one you had some editing to do i think we've got it figured out for this one i'm also back in work so it's a little more yeah. uh, fewer fewer police sirens Fewer, fewer police sirens, fewer uh, homeless people yelling, fewer uh, party goers. So they, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this episode goes. So let's wrap it up in yeah. five minutes. So that was good. Uh, nice. Excellent. See you next week. Uh, so I, I, I don't know how when you want to start. I know we've started. <laughs> Excuse Bless me. I you. just sneezed. Thank you. Uh, but I, I do have a quote. All right. Hit me with it. Hit okay. me with it. One day, I'd like to give you a gift of a Colombian necktie. Very special. You slit the throat, pull out the tongue, and on you, it would look beautiful. Oh, my gosh. Okay, hold on. This is going to... Uh, oh, jeez. Y- your first instinct is to say Henry Silva. Your first instinct would be right. Right. Uh, but it's not the movie we're talking about today. It's not, but I it's know. directed so, oh, by the oh, same oh, person. Oh, it's Code of Silence. Yes. I knew I knew it. I was like, oh, wait, I know that's Henry Silva, but it's not the film we're talking about today. But yeah, excellent choice, my man. And I'm sure Thank that movie's going to come up again uh, when we get to our discussion. I think it definitely might. Yeah. But uh, anywho, uh, I would like to share that you got a promotion. This is this is indeed true. Congratulations, my thank friend. you very much. It, yeah. it kicks in. It kicks in uh, July first, twenty twenty nine. No, twenty twenty two. Well, and the nice part is a promotion for you looks better for me because you're one of my main uh, references I put on all my job applications. So now I can <laughs> up your title, and now Today. it'll hopefully make me look better. That, that, that's why I did. I, I, I explained to them. That this is for you. Yeah, exactly. And that's at the end of the day, that's why they finally agreed. They're like, oh, yeah. if it's for oh, AJ. AJ. Yeah. We, we should have known that. We like that guy. Yeah, they, they said, sorry, dog. Yeah. Actually, in all fairness, the current administration doesn't even know who I am. Not yet, no. Not yet. But they will. But they will. They will find out. Uh, any, what's, what else is new? Anything new in the world of uh, martial arts uh, cinema or anything else? I can't think of anything too exciting or new or relevant i'm blanking on anything new or relevant but i did just borrow the district uh, 13 okay french edit version from the los angeles public public library excellent so i'm looking forward to watching the the french cut cool i've i've definitely seen uh the original french cut it's been a minute though uh and it's okay to blank as long as you're Billy blanking. <laughs> <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Crickets. Choop, choop. Uh, yeah. So uh, same old, same old here. Same old, same old there. Not a whole lot of changes, but we are uh, tackling a pretty big subject today. One we haven't discussed yet. A key player in the world of martial arts cinema. In fact... I'd say many people's favorite. 
which is which is interesting because I feel like he's actually a fan favorite for people more outside of the genre, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's also kind of that era people that grew up watching Sensei Seagal. And hey. go ahead. No, it, it, he's probably in this film is probably the biggest martial arts film outside of Enter the Dragon and maybe Kill Bill Volume One. And I could be I, I in could, what you, uh, in what sense? In what sense where it, it had a sort of like a cultural impact? What am I leaving off there? Because well, I mean, well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I do. I would definitely argue that one. I would say, well, you, if you're talking uh, about uh, initial box office release, yes, and so I'm forth, talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about the initial, the initial impact f- from from day zero of the film, or of day zero of the film. Yeah, Not over know. over time, it's definitely faded. Well, there's no know, question about that. But it it definitely, I feel like, changed the the lexicon of of I mean, and juxtaposed. No, but it basically changed martial arts cinema in the West. I, I would have to agree with you in that sense. I still feel like Bloodsport, even from its initial release, had just as much of an impact. But you make an excellent point when you say it changed the lexicon. And then, or so for listeners that may not quite understand or know the word lexicon, it's kind of almost similar to like what the zeitgeist or discussion, the vernacular, the vocabulary of a certain area when like kind of talking about something. And so... It definitely did because of the uniqueness of the martial arts featured, which was yes. brand new, never seen before uh, to this extent, obviously. So as the title of the episode would imply, since it's already been released by the time you're listening to this, we are talking about the 1988 Andrew D- Davis directed Steven Seagal's first starring role, Above the Law, a.k.a. Nico. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I would. So I'm. <clears throat> excuse me. There's so much to unpack on this in this film. Yes. Uh, and I know we're going to start the unpacking process, but I would. I would even go so far as to say that the opening sequence of mm-hmm. Above the Law is perhaps the peak of Steven Seagal's career. Oh, I hundred percent. I hundred percent agree. It, it, of what of what he was trying to do and of what what it represented. I know there was Under Siege. I know there have been other films. I know there have been bigger films with bigger box office uh, impact. But that opening sequence alone is was the peak, and it was a such a high peak that I'm not saying that he like slid the whole way down. I'm not, I'm not implying any along, anything along those lines. But it was fantastic cinematography. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it actually, I think we've discussed this before in one of the earliest podcast, earlier podcast episodes we did, where that opening sequence is similar to uh, many of the 1970s, early 80s kung fu films where they would introduce the sort of the style that you would see before the film launched, uh, sort of like your kata or, or what have you. And, and I mean, even... There, there have been many films that follow this format, but to see it interwoven and in, in a way that just uh, uh, was cinematically just so catching and beautiful, it just, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think so much of what this film is, I don't have to turn it over to you because I, I, I my notes are over here and I'm going to make noise when I pick it up. So I'm going to turn it over to you for a moment. But there's so much in this film that is so actually fantastic that... Uh, I'll turn it over to you. I got my so, notes. I agree with you. And the thing is, and after rewatching it now, maybe it changes. But if you were to ask me, is Above the Law your favorite Steven Seagal movie? Odds are I'm probably going to say no I because I have a soft spot for Hard to Kill Out for Justice. But mm-hmm. is Above the Law his best movie? Absolutely. Because it's an overall good film. And that actually equal parts belongs to Seagal, surprisingly enough, but also director Andrew Davis, which yes. he is a key element of the success and the uh, the captivating nature of this particular film. Right out the gate, that opening sequence, uh, even with Steven Seagal's narration, there's something unique about this performance because 
Seagal was kind of picked from obscurity in a sense. Yes, he was uh, a martial arts instructor for one of the heads at Warner Brothers. I can't remember his name. And supposedly the rumor is that this guy thought he could make a star out of anybody. And that's why he chose Seagal. Either which way, <laughs> Seagal was not a formally trained actor. He had worked around some movie sets, obviously famously breaking Sean Connery's wrist, supposedly in uh, Never Say Never Again when he was training him for that. Uh, but it, there's something about his performance in this movie that is so raw that it works. Now, there's a few of the more emotional scenes that eh, could have done better, but, you know, he's like a rookie, really. But at the same time, that rawness works for this character. Uh, his delivery, for the most part, is surprisingly pretty good. As I mentioned, there's a few sequences where it's, uh, you know, he may have not been able to handle the big dramatic chops. Uh, but right out the gate, even with his narration, you kind of, you hear it, right? And the yeah. other thing missing from here and I mean this in the best way, is the ego. There is no ego here yet. He wasn't a superstar. He wasn't the, I can't get beat or I can't be touched at all in my movies. I'm invincible. We even have the whole scene where he's literally sitting there and getting beat by Henry Silva and stuff at the end. And there, there's a vulnerability to this character that the rest of his films didn't have, uh, which makes it more relatable in a sense. And it, that oozes into his performance. You believe that he's a real guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's a badass with all this special training. But I mean, he has uh, weaknesses, uh, if you want to call them that. He's vulnerable in the sense of, you know, his family matters to him. Uh, he can be gotten to. He can be captured, for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I try to think of other examples of this. And yes, in Mark for Death, when he's fighting uh, Screwface at the end, you know, there's a few shots where Screwface is like throwing him in the bar and stuff. But it just also doesn't look yeah. believable. Like you're not well, buying it. There's one hit I remember right. in, I think, Glimmer Man, where he gets tagged in the nose at one point you know but rarely do you ever see Seagal actually uh pushed to the limit or in a situation where he is where he fears for his life and I I mean there, there's so many sequences within this film that have that particularly when the the hitman come out and are you know shooting up his car you know there's 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 a great sense of authenticity in in his presence in his charisma and his ability to just you know speak yeah uh you know he's not he's not stiff like a lot of other athletes martial arts turned screen actors for the for their first or second film out he has it he has that it factor from the get-go and then you 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 mix in the 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 filmography or the, the 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 direction of andrew davis and you've got a really nice blend a really nice balance so I said, you know, that ego wasn't quite there yet. However, there was still right out and you know, he had to have had this, that sense of confidence and slight cockiness, but that's what makes it works too. And it, over the years, I have a feeling it just kind of, it grew, it was fed too much and it became this thing that kind of uh, prohibited uh, him from having that same likability within the characters. And here though, there's the right amount of cockiness, you know, within the character of Nico, there's the right amount of confidence. And he's also, he's not perfect. Well, no. And, and, and I love the casting as well. There's one particular scene that, that stood out to me. It's, it's the scene where he has to turn in his badge and we've seen this scene play out throughout time, throughout probably from 19, who knows, 1970s probably, but 19, all of the 1980s to almost all of the 1990s, a cop, our lead protagonist, has to turn in his badge and gun, suspended without pay, suspended, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You That's, crossed the line this time. I want yeah. your badge, I want your gun, and I want your ass. That, that's but, not this movie. I'm just trying no. to quote any sort of, yeah. But what's what's great about Andrew Davis, is, I think one of the key elements of Andrew Davis that makes his film so successful, and if you look across his, I think, four or five big hits, it is in the casting of all the supporting actors. And there's one scene where Seagal's standing up, the FBI agents are there, his captain's there, his lieutenant's there. And, you know, the older lieutenant has the charisma, has the state, has the screen presence to tell him to sit his butt down. And, you know, exit wounds, he has some, he has some run-ins with his chief, but it's not like Seagal's not scared of them. He wasn't scared of his chief in this one, but he sat down because of, of the way the casting, the way the lines executed, there is this sense of, okay, 
I'm going to, I'm going to pause because I am not the biggest dog in this room. I, I caught that too. And I loved that. Right. Because like you mentioned, even in exit wounds where it's with uh, bill Duke, right. The actor, and you can tell the whole time he still thinks he's the, you know, hot shit, right? He's the yeah. the greatest thing since sliced bread. In this one, you can tell he realizes at some points, uh-oh, I'm in trouble, right? Like, uh-oh, my commander's mad at me and he sits down. Or, you know, uh, even when, like, he gets captured by the bad guy, same sort of thing. It's just like, uh-oh, I'm letting these guys get the best of me. But that particular scene that you mentioned, that caught my eye, too, where it's like, okay, he's listening to an authority figure, because he knows he's not the top dog. Yeah. And it's, 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 uh, it's, it's not just the authority figure in that, in that scene. Yes. But it's also the, the dynamic of the, the casting throughout the film and the same cast. You'll, you'll see a lot of these actors in other Andrew Davis films, whether it's code of silence under siege, but there's some, the fugitive, the, the fugitive. Yes. There's some great, uh, Another key aspect of Andrew Davis films is he casts a strong antagonist. And I really, uh, I really have always appreciated who, who he has as an antagonist. I mean, obviously in The Fugitive, it's kind of like a, a fluid antagonist, you know, between Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. But, it, you know, in Code of Silence, Henry Silva again mm-hmm. with Chuck Norris. And in, uh, you know, Above the Law, it's Henry Silva, Steven Seagal. And then, of course, in Under Siege, it's Tommy Lee Jones and Steven Seagal. He always has this great dynamic going uh, with with someone who has incredible acting chops. Uh, there's there's something to be said for the presence of a, particularly in this case, with a essentially green Steven Seagal when it comes to acting and a veteran actor in Henry Silva. That balance, that dynamic... You know, Henry Silva, he looks fit, Mm. but, you know, he doesn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger fit. You know, he's not he's not going to be a physical challenge to. Yeah, he's not going to be a physical challenge to Seagal, but he is a screen presence challenge to Seagal, which I find so often lacking in a lot of Western martial art films. You know, there, there are exceptions. You know, I love we've talked about it before. One of the reasons I love Sudden Death so much is because of Powers Booth. Oh, yeah. Might not be a martial artist, but he has that presence mm-hmm. that is that is uh, fatal. Plus or, the ingenuity to uh, take hostage the vice president. Exactly. The president. I mean, come on. The president's been too many times, right? Vice president is what it's all about. <laughs> Creativity. But no, you are 100% correct. And uh, especially, I, I love how in The Fugitive, as you kind of mentioned, it's like fluidity. It's almost like it's like a Tom and Jerry. And then at the end, Tom and Jerry become friends, right? It's yes. literally cat yes. and mouse. Yes. Uh, this one, not so much cat and mouse, but it's still a great uh, pairing. And, you know, the dichotomy between the two and the ethically good Nico versus just the horrifically evil uh henry silva i forget the character's name yeah i i forget him too uh but yeah no it's it's a uh, it's it's so you you have that aspect and i mean uh and then of course the other relating factor between uh the earlier martial art uh andrew davis film is the soundtrack mm, david yep. david michael frank right david david michael frank i i actually let's let's see i have uh all the info pulled up right here. It Who says, ended up going going on yeah. and working with uh, with Seagal on a few other films? I think uh, three or four films, right? It's possible. Yeah, I think he did out through Alfred Alfred Justice. You, you mentioned that opening sequence, and I'm going to jump back to that real quick. Please because do. You talked about how amazing it is, and it's true. And it's a combination of Andrew Davis's directing. First of all, just the actual beginning of it, where it's just picture real pictures of Seagal as a kid, and it's kind of this very like warm welcoming introduction (laughs) right you're seeing real pictures of him from his childhood and i said that narration of his where it's kind of it's very sincere and then when it cuts into what's like the present day of him training in japan it's a combination of seagal's presence andrew davis's directing and the score because it like kicks in that classic 80s like you know and then the the opening in the aikido dojo and you see seagal doing Obviously, you see how highly skilled he was at that point in time in Aikido. Like, it's just undeniable how athletic. And that that's apparent in his 
uh, overall appearance too. I mean, look how lean he is in this movie. He's straight up like skinny lean because, and I, I mean that like more like a, built like a runner, right? Even though we can talk about his running later in the movie. Uh, but you see that in that opening sequence. And then when the title pops up, it's the music, it's the direction that could have easily just been like a camera set there. But Andrew Davis knew exactly like how to set up the shots, how mm-hmm. to record it, how to make this already super fluid and dynamic martial arts movement look even better. He knew how to accentuate it. And this is something that's prevalent throughout all of his movies. The guy knew how to shoot fight scenes. Uh, and maybe it was just a natural talent he had, but you, even the the only real like fight scene in Code of Silence is the bar fight with Chuck Norris, which I think it's, is one of the best ones he's ever done. I agree with you completely. I think that is one of the best bar fight scenes ever. One yeah. of the best one versus 20 fight scenes, one versus group of assailant fight scenes ever. Probably the best karate fight sequence on film. I might be stretching it there a little bit, but at least on Western film, it is a fantastic sequence. Mm-hmm. And it, a lot of it has to do with how he builds tension, but then how he releases the tension with how things are shot and how they're edited. He, in many ways, he out James Glickenhaus. Ah. He out Glickenhaus is James Glickenhaus. He doesn't, I love how Glickenhaus, and I think we've talked about this, will rely on the slow motion to heighten that impact. I think what Andrew Davis does is he keeps it he keeps it just as raw but he relies on what's hidden behind a camera and then cutting to it and yep. the, it's his edits you rather than it. slow motion it's the, it's the editing and obviously he does utilize some slow motion and we'll get yeah. to this in some of the later fights uh, but it's the, the the editing and you nail the choice of the cut to where it cuts to to accentuate the hits right yes and so in this opening sequence now, for you, you've actually practiced Aikido. You've taken Aikido, and you did some Aikido in Japan. Yes. So, real quick question. I just had a curiosity. What does, like, the three clapping at the beginning of the class uh, symbolize? Because, you know, I did Japanese martial arts for years. I did Shorinji Kempo. We had our own, like, kind of opening thing. It was more like a bow-in and, you know, an addressing to the uh, instructor. But what do you know what that clapping represents where they have the arms straight out, and it's, like, it's literally... Clap, clap, clap. It, it's very similar to what you see in uh, sumo as well, where they yes. do the Y clap and come down. I think it's I think it's a cleansing of the space. But I'll be very honest with you. What I find about uh, from my experience with living in Japan and learning more about Japanese culture, it is peeling the onion. So as soon as you, as soon as I felt like I discovered the answer, there is a different answer behind that Noted. so for, for me i always felt and feel as though i was informed that that was about cleansing the space however i'm sure that there's even there even there's even more behind that you're wrong dog it's a double ear clap self-defense move oh <laughs> nice <laughs> but uh so the, in this opening sequence we not only get to see him teaching aikido which famously he's you know supposedly the first foreigner to ever own and operate an Aikido dojo in Japan, which we do know he was an instructor, that's for sure. Uh, but we not only get to see him like teaching a class and demonstrating really good Aikido movement, we also get to see him speaking in Japanese. And there's a, another scene later where he's also speaking in Japanese. And uh, you've talked briefly about his Japanese before, but I think especially at this time, it really shows a true level of fluency. It does. It, it shows a true level of Understanding and being able to be understood, and I I, I, I say that with uh, with the understanding that sometimes I think I'm understood, and sometimes I don't think I am when I speak in Japanese because there's so many different uh, levels to you know dialects in Japan. <laughs> there's also so many different like there's business Japanese, yeah. there's you know uh, common Japanese. So uh, yeah, his definitely uh, is understandable. If that if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. I mean, any like, you know, uh, it's funny. You learn quickly when you start traveling the world that it's like I was always under the impression like I I wasn't that familiar with dialects, but I really thought only China had dialects. No, everywhere in the world pretty much has dialects outside of us. But even in America, you can uh, argue that there's different dialects within the American vernacular, right? But even still, like I remember meeting a friend from Italy, and him telling me his parents and he's you know probably maybe not 10 years older than me maybe a little bit less but his parents didn't speak italian they only spoke their local dialect 
And I was like, what, mm-hmm. like Sicilian or something? He's like, no, it's a different, and I'm like, huh? Like, I didn't even know Italy had dialects. <laughs> like, and so, point being that, same thing, you know, with in China, as I always joke, I can put on one movie and comfortably watch it without subtitles. Put on another, literally can't understand a single thing they're saying. Same thing with uh, conversation, you know? I can talk with somebody and, you know, and at the end they're like, holy crap, you know, you're fluent. Other people, I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're saying and you don't know what I'm saying. And it's just, it's it's really hard, especially if you're not immersed in the culture. And obviously at this point, he was still, he was actually kind of decently removed from his life in Japan because this was already 88. And I believe he had pretty much been done with his... uh, residency in Japan, I think by like the late seventies, early eighties. I believe, I believe you're right. Uh, and I think the first time I saw it, which I saw Nico in Japan on VHS tape, the second sequence where he speaks Japanese was cut out oh. and it just, it just went right to where he met the girl, but that's faded memory. That, that was so long ago. Plus as all, a the, kid, all the drugs you were doing back then. Yeah. As a child. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, but I, I, what I can tell you is I rewatched the opening sequence over and over and over. I really hated when it would cut away to the to the Vietnam sequence yeah. with, the, with the helicopter. I'm like, dang it. And I had to like rewind. I'm like, I, I wanted more from that opening sequence. But I mean. Could you that- imagine if he now decided to like make a real film? Like because quite honestly, his. Hmm. Let's, let's stay polite and nice here. His, I, his recent body of work has not been reflective of the quality of his early films. Now, if he was to be able to actually kind of step back, you know, and what's the proper word? De-egoize himself? <laughs> like how, what's, what's the, the verb I'm looking for to like, you know, kind of. If he, if he were to step back in and shed the persona there we go. Shed the brand mm-hmm. and be a performer mm-hmm. only again. Mm-hmm. You know, based on, I, I think we'll probably talk about it later, but based on some of the videos we've seen recently mm-hmm. that have surfaced, he still he still has it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, as Nicolas Cage said in the, it's, uh, we'll be back, not that we ever went anywhere. I don't know if you've seen that yet, so nope. it's a, okay. Well, he repeats that quote a lot of times. But anyway, so back to the back to the film above the law. So we get the opening sequence where which establishes his backstory. He was obsessed with martial arts, went to Japan, became a martial arts expert, was recruited by the CIA. And these are also supposedly self uh, reflexive elements of his actual life story. Hence why he has a story writing credit. Excuse me. And the validity of these claims. I don't know. We don't know. How are you going to prove it? It's a very much like Frank Duke situation. Is, is it probably somewhere in the middle? Maybe. Yeah, it's possible without a doubt. But. You know, how do you prove it wrong or how do you prove it right? So he, you know, burns some bridges in the CIA. He's done. He goes back to America, becomes a Chicago cop. So the movie picks up in present day, late 80s. And the unique thing is, is obviously Andrew Davis liked to shoot in Chicago. Code of Mm -hmm. Silence, The Fugitive. And here he does an amazing job of capturing the urban landscape of a very modern city, but giving it a very uh, common man feel. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it, it, it has, it feels like a grit, uh, that movie, even The Fugitive, it's like, it's got that gritty, like, 70s, uh, almost like exploitation film feel. What I, what I really like about his films is they're, um, people are, they're, the cast members are wearing clothes that they bought. (laughs) Maybe a few years prior, but they're they've broken them in. It's so it's it's like it's like, it's like sh- what was popular when they were in high school, and now right. they're adults still wearing those leather jackets. Well, I'd like to think they showed up to the set like, all right, I'm ready for costume. Where's my costume? Actually, you know what? That works. Just wear that. This, this what? <laughs> you know, it's like like that was just what they came to work in that day, and they're like, you know what? I like it. It's natural. Wear it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, maybe he just had everybody bring their own uh, their own. Uh, uh, costumes. Yeah. I, I'm looking. I'm looking at his uh, uh, IMDb his filmography right now, and I remember there was one other film that really spoke to me: uh, Collateral Damage with Arnold Schwarzenegger. But I think that that came out. That came out in 2002. It was supposed to come out in 2001, but right. then got uh, you know put put 
delayed until like yeah. February. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, because of you know everything that was going on in two thousand one. I'm sure mm-hmm. I think it was supposed to be released around nine eleven shortly thereafter. Um, but uh, speaking of, so we, we've spoken a little bit about Andrew Davis. I don't I don't want to get ahead. Uh, I know you were breaking down the story there a little bit. Oh yeah, I mean just pretty much. So he's a Chicago detective that ends up inadvertently stumbling stumbling upon a international CIA backed. Uh, well, what they think is drug ring at first, but ends up being like a C4 ring and then an, a political uh, assassination attempt and all sorts of uh, espionage type stuff. And uh, once again, it doesn't get too complex, but it's complex enough to give it kind of a step above your average just 80s action film. Mm-hmm. And uh, you believe the validity of the threat that uh, is uh, uh, in front of them. Absolutely. And it, it's complicated just enough Precisely. that the FBI agents who are assigned to the case don't buy into it until yeah. Steven Seagal takes them to, you know, uh, uh, to school, the, to, to, to the holding locker where they where they kind of uh, see that, oh, he was right all Which, along. We have another great appearance from a regular Andrew Davis actor. I as love well. that. And I can't remember his name right now. But I know. I was going to look him up. Yeah. Most <laughs> most audience members would remember him from uh, the Home Alone yeah. films that Kevin McAllister watches. You filthy animal. Or, You've been yeah. kissing everybody. Keep the change, you dirty animal. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> oh, he was. Yeah, yeah. his voice. You, you, you hear him. And you know, oh, I know, you know who's behind the cage there with all the evidence. And then he walks up. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> CIA. But uh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's the basic breakdown of the plot. Obviously, there's some great there's some great shoot 'em up scenes. You know, kind of uh, surprisingly enough, as a kid, I was all about John Woo, right? So a lot of times yeah. when I saw some of these films later on, I was already in middle school. I had already seen jo- a bunch of John Woo. And so it was like in comparison to Jackie Chan movies, I was already super into. I would see sometimes even martial arts in these films, uh, not Steven Seagal in particular necessarily, but just any film from that era, American made wise. And I'd be like, uh, not worth my time. Same thing yeah, with shootouts. Yeah. But there's some good shootout sequences in this. And you got to appreciate Seagal right out the gate knew how to have the presence while shooting a gun. And it, he he has a, a believability in these shootout sequences to where like a lot of other people are more frantic, which is amazing. Like the, the supporting actors, even though they're cops, are like, holy shit, I'm in a shootout. And they're scared and frightened. But Seagal in a, the best way possible, the most appropriate way possible, seems to be a step above everybody else. And that can be due to Nico, the character's background in the CIA and so forth. But we get some pretty stellar shootout sequences. Well, you know, it, 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 we do get some good shootout sequences. Speaking to uh, speaking to your, your having already been immersed in Hong Kong cinema and then watching a, a U.S. film shootout sequence, unless it's heat, yeah. you know, you're like, ah, uh, you know, John Woo. I, I can watch John Woo for this. And then maybe if you're watching a Western martial art film, there's a lot of like, there's some rigidness when you're when they're fighting. You know, rapid fire is a great uh, exception to the rule. Yeah. But uh, this is another exception to the rule. Yep. Because the martial arts sequences are extremely fast, and I have to say, I I, I know some of these the guys who he's facing off with when he's uh, pulling his Aikido or Jiu-Jitsu at that point, he's probably telling them beforehand, you're going to sell this or I'm going to, you might get a little hurt on this because I mean, some of this stuff is not just that. And I feel like he talked about it in the podcast he did with Scott Atkins, where these were his actual students. Yes. And that's why they were able to do this beautiful, amazing Aikido because they had practiced it. They knew exactly in a sense how to take the hit and how to go with the hit. So like in judo, the first thing you learn. So I talk like I'm an expert. Once again, I started martial arts in 1995 at a combination Taekwondo judo school. And in from my research I've done, and I'm still working on this, I believe I was actually learning Tong Sudo, but that's a whole other uh-huh. story. But anyways, for the first year, I was learning hand in hand what would be okay, Tong Sudo and Judo. And the first thing you learn is how to fall in judo. Like you learn, you know, yes. your right side, left side, backside. And same thing when I took up Shorinji Kempo, when you're learning the Ukemi, you're learning how to do all that stuff again. And so same thing when you're offensively learning how to do Aiki Jiu-Jitsu because in Shrinji Kempo it's also the Aiki Jiu-Jitsu, right? Uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, 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 would that be the Juho technique? Soft or what's, is it go? Which one's soft? Which one's hard? Go or Ju? Like mm. go, go, Gojo-ru is a hard, soft uh, way. Which one's 
Gosh, I'd have to see the characters. Oh, okay. Damn, smarty pants. Sorry. But it's all right. Yeah, so, yeah, so smart, I don't know. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the answer. I'm smart. But, uh, uh, yeah, so, like, same thing. When you're learning how to wrist lock and throw somebody, you have to learn how to take it, too. And so, I, I think he specifically said that in these early films, it was his students, one guy in particular. I want to say the guy in the very first sequence where he goes into the sleazy-ass bar motel to rescue his cousin. Oh, yeah, with the, with the gun? Yeah, that's yeah, no, one that, of his yeah. students. And I, yeah. I, I'm 99% sure that's who Skull said was. And I, he could have easily doubled in the other fight scenes throughout the movie where he does that beautiful wrist uh, lock throw into a... Uh, kind of a uh, submission and yeah. the authenticity of that it's there you can't fake that that's real body torque and motion and it shows <laughs> yes. that when you've l- learned that level of technique and practice that many times it can be effective that's why and especially in a law enforcement setting it's it's interesting how that's why they still learn a lot of what would be like uh, Aiki Jiu Jitsu techniques Chin on Chinese or like Hapkido wrist locks and throws and mm-hmm. stuff because in theory you can throw somebody pin them like that without actually hurting you know breaking a bone and later on in Seagal's movies and even this one it became suddenly now everything's gonna break and snap some limbs which is cool for yeah. a cinematic effect but that opening sequence that first fight scene that's one of the prime examples of the editing and the cuts I think you're gonna talk about it, yes. it throws that upwards yes. elbow in that dude's face and it's like twice and the the start of the sh- of the elbow to the cut and the finish really accentuates that and it shows the power that it could have easily been completely goofy looking had they not done it right and that's credit to Andrew Davis because I, I, I'm I sure probably now Seagal would be like well that was my idea but I, I think at that point he would have been too green in a sense to know proper camera angles and I'm sure he learned later on how to make himself look good but at this point this was Andrew Davis's experience having already shot martial arts sequences with Chuck Norris and whatever else within his uh, beginning of his film career I'm sure I'm not as familiar with it but here we get some and also the knee when he throws that knee same thing it's like it cuts to right at the right moment and the right angle to go boom and it shows the power of that knee it's like damn that's some straightforward and it's a great uh, contrast because with the one guy it's elbow knee like very brutal straightforward tactics and the mm-hmm. next guy it's like alright Aikido wrist lock throw pin you're like ooh it's an interesting dichotomy of the fight scenes throughout and it just works brilliantly because uh Seagal has that authenticity in the more complex maneuvers. It's uh, so what I really appreciate about this film is in many ways, the seeds for so many of the other successful Seagal films are in this film. And I'm not saying he's ripped them off, but I mean, like I, I, so I went, I kind of went, tried to go a little deep on this uh, or I don't know if it's deep, but uh, he tells the FBI agent, Nico does, in Above the Law, bank on it, pal. <laughs> in Hard to Kill, it's, you can take that to the bank. Uh, I'll take you to the bank, Senator. And, and bank. So then there's the search for Salvano. Uh-huh. Kind of similar to the search for Richie. Uh. There's the bar fight sequence, which is very similar to a couple of other bar fight sequences. Yeah. Not Not similar to, but like, you know. There is that aspect where he's in and he has to clear the bar. Okay, can I steal one? I know what the next please, one's going to be. Please, please. The bodega fights. Of course. The, so, and that's the thing. I get and them I love mixed this. up. Uh, this one's the better one, but I get them mixed up. This one with Out for Justice because it's like the exact same yes. scene. <laughs> A one shot in Brooklyn, one shot in Chicago. But yeah. I mean, the, so again, you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head because I think with a lot of a lot of sequels, and I'm not saying that Seagal's career is one big sequel, but with a lot of sequels, often it's bigger explosions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with like the Bodega sequence, in this one, he's just throwing people around, clearly guys who know how to take uh, right. some Aikido throws, probably his students, in Out for Justice, you know, he uses a meat cleaver and sticks a guy to the wall. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a little more rated R, rated R and... Uh, and like in uh, Hard to Kill in the in the convenience store, you know, he mm-hmm. takes the guy down and then he slowly turns the angle into ankle until it breaks. He the didn't need to do that. The convenience store, I didn't realize till after living in L.A. for three years that I literally used to walk by almost every day. Uh, yeah. It was right across the street from Lassen's. I've been in there multiple times because at this before it burned down, unfortunately, about two years ago. Uh, and I was there when it was like on fire. I was like, what the hell's going on? But uh, it was a Chinese market. And I'd gone in there a couple of times to, to talk with them. But well, uh, it, the, so there, there is one thing I want to I want to pull back to uh, 
when we talk about all of this, there is the one running sequence where he, you know, before the run, yes, where he's fighting some guys. And offline, you and I had a conversation about, you know, Seagal's great. His Aikido is great on camera. But you pointed out some of his best fights actually involve weapons. Mm-hmm. And in uh, in that sequence where we're here, you're looking for Savano. You know where he is? Right here. And he pulls out a gun. And then he's like, we're not going to kill you. I'm not going to shoot you. We're going to beat you, beat you to death. And all these guys bring out all these weapons. And of course, then Seagal actually has some like machete to baseball bat fight sequences. And so you, you know, I I don't want to like steal because this concept from you because you, you, you brought it to my attention that some of his best fight sequences are when he has weapons or against weapons. Precisely because that's what Aikido is. It was a battlefield art, right? So it's primarily, oh crap, I've lost my weapons. Now there's people coming at me with weapons. So that's why it works so well. And it also is believable because if you were to try to create your overall martial arts arsenal, uh, for like real life self-defense, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you don't need to train weapons, you know, and I, you know, probably in, in actuality, if you're someone's attacks you with a weapon and it's already too late at that point, but you know, people will be like, all right, you've got to learn Filipino martial arts or, oh, perhaps Aikido, because this is literally based against people like lunging, attacking, you know, stabbing. Once again, they've done the studies that show most people that actually shank, you know, grab you behind the neck and it's a lot more rapid fire. But that being said, uh, the Aikido curriculum is a lot based off of people attacking with momentum. In fact, so much so that the bodega fight scene in this one, the only flaw is there's that quick shot of the one guy who's coming at him and like sword chops him with the hand, which uh-huh. as Seagal talks about the sword chop uh, in recent videos. But like, and he, it just seems out of place. There's the one guy who kicks, but it seems believable. Like this guy's oh, yeah. a kicker. He knows how to kick, but Seagal's able to defend it. It's a perfect setup for some Aikido defense. But then there's that quick shot of the guy like doing a sword attack, which <laughs> I makes know exactly believe, where you mean. Yep, that he is one of Seagal's students in real life. You're like, damn it! If they would have just given him something in his hand, like a club or something, you would have you would have never even noticed. It would have felt totally organic. In this sense, it feels slightly staged and artificial because it's like this is an Aikido display, like you know. Uh, yeah. De- self-defense demo. <laughs> well, you, you, you know what's great about uh, that sequence that you just mentioned, particularly the, the front kick from uh, the, the main henchman in that sequence, is 100% believable. You know Seagal can defend against it. We've seen, you know, you, we already have the confidence that someone's going to come at you with a front kick and you have a gun. But the whole point of the front kick was the distraction so the other guy could come in and, like, uh, dislodge the hand. Everything came across as so authentic, but yet also... Sometimes when I watch action films now, they try to let us know how uh, how much they've trained mm. and how prepared they, you know, how they are authentic. Whereas that sequence, they didn't bother to to. It just it just was authentic, except for that chop, yeah. which came which came a few moves after that, but. Uh, yeah, just a fantastic sequence. I, that 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 bodega fight scene is one of my favorite fights. Uh, fight sequences. Uh, the whole film just maintains this grittiness that just keeps building and building. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know if you mind if I take a take a moment to talk about Henry Silva. No, let's I know do we, it. we talked him a little bit a little bit, but I mean, for me, he's in. He kind of, the way he walks down corridors, which we saw in Code of Silence and Above the Law. His walk. For me, is like, I think this guy's done some martial arts. But, you know, that's just me projecting. He has, with that said, been in three very important martial art films. Code of Silence, mm-hmm. Above the Law, and then Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Oh. And it's, it's interesting you bring Henry Silva because he's one of those guys, like, he's up there with Billy Drago. Yes. As, you know, iconic villain-type characters. However, that being said, unlike Billy Drago... I could easily see Henry Silva in a non-villain role as well. He could be just an actor in a movie. Like Billy Drago. Could you imagine Billy Drago in a romantic comedy or something? <laughs> or like, uh, unfortunately, now I can. And yeah. that's I'll never, I'll never be able to erase that. I'd like to take you on a date of death. <laughs> but... Uh, no, he definitely has that presence. He has that presence. That is until he, at the very last sequence, and he holds that knife with that weird straight-out arm. Yeah, blade. yeah. It's a little awkward. But, uh, no, continue about Mr. Silva. No, no. So, so what, I, what I appreciate about about him, and I, I think, you know, he, he got – he's – I don't know how many films he, he has been in. Uh, but I remember him from, you know, when he would guest star on Hawaii Five-0, the old TV show. Mm. Uh, just, just has this um, – 
has a working man's uh, resume filmography where he has continued to work until this point where he's now, you know, headlining films and uh, to to or headlining, not headlining films, but at least uh, being that that second build, that third build uh, presence in the film. And, and before we started, I was trying to find the exact quote from Ghost Dog because I was either going to do the Columbia necktie ah. or when he did the ooh, well, from I'm, glad, I'm glad you did uh, Columbia Code of Silence because I haven't seen Ghost Dog since close to when it first came out. Yeah, so well, it's, I, that, it's which is shameful of me. I really need to rewatch it as an adult. And, and uh, you know, uh, before I forget, I need to autocorrect myself. Earlier, I said I think that uh, Above the Law is one of the films that changed the lexicon. And I mentioned Enter the Dragon. I mentioned Kill Bill to an extent, and Above the Law. Uh, I didn't have my notebook open, and I even if I didn't have it open, I should have, of course, mentioned Karate Kid. Oh yeah, definitely. yeah. I mean, so but I'm just saying, like these these are the films that introduced something. You're fired. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> that introdu- introduced to the general public that right. spread like it spread out beyond the martial arts appreciation crowd. And I mean, of course, you can talk about that with a lot of Jackie Chan films like Rush Hour and everything, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like the introduction of a martial art to the general public. Yeah, and we're not talking about also the changing of choreography or stuff. People might be like, what about Ong Bak or what about The Raid? That's different. You know, what we're talking about is actual like a cultural phenomenon in a sense because it even supposedly I was reading and doing some research that you know, Seagal schools were all struggling at that point. And then after Above the Law, because of Aikido and the interest, it's like, boom, they exploded, right? Uh, and same thing, Aikido is, a, I'd say, a well-recognized martial art uh, amongst, you know, the American public, in a sense. People that have at least some sort of base knowledge uh, and don't just call everything karate. How was your karate class, Gavin? Uh, actually, I do uh, White Tiger Kung Fu in Santa Monica. <laughs> My phone's going to blow up this yeah, week. I know, so he's listening yeah. right now and he's going to be like, hey, hey, Gavin, White Tiger here. Haven't heard from you in a minute. Uh, so pretty much for people that don't know, a lot of the times nowadays with modern day marketing with martial arts schools, if you just show an interest or you want a little bit of info, good luck ever getting off of those uh, email chains or text chains. Yeah. And my apologies to White Tiger, but uh, I ghosted you. Ghost Tiger. Ghost Tiger. <laughs> White Ghost. Uh, so yeah, I mean the, I guess the one, the only disappointing uh, thing of this movie is the finale is a little, uh, not a letdown. It's just unfortunately we've already had a couple of phenomenal martial arts sequences earlier in the film, right? And then the in the finale is good. I mean he's tied down to a chair, he breaks, he like you know breaks out of the chair, kills all the guys, you know spoiler alert, kills the main villain, and it's it's great. But it's like you know what I would have loved to have seen is. Uh, Almost speaking of the raid again, can you imagine if Seagal in his prime would have made a movie like the raid where he had to just kind of go through villain to villain Um, up like story? Because it's a perfect setup for his martial arts, right? A dude comes at him, takes him out. Now, don't get me wrong. The raid had some phenomenal one on one fight sequences, but Seagal wasn't known for his one on one fight sequences, nor is Aikido a one on one fight type martial art. So like my my scenario for the perfect finale to this is he breaks loose and everyone like runs away. Right. And he's got to make his way through like the different rooms of the hotel. Right. He's got to get through the kitchen staff. Boom, boom. Takes those guys out, boom, gets to the next level, boom, like a game of death setup, Bruce Lee game of death, where he's taking out everybody as they come at him, right? But it's also, yeah. it's, it's adding figuratively and literally layers to the fight scene, right? As he's going up the stairs and like different levels, and that would have been cool. He could have even done like a, all right, he's got a knife or stick guy that's coming after him, uh, and he just, you know, uses the Aikido uh, curriculum to defend against that, and it would have just been a cool display. Once again, you know, budget, time, whatever, retrospect, yeah. anybody could say, well, they should have done it this way but uh it is it is cool though that fi- uh finale because we do mention he gets like beat up he's all bleeding and you know he's vulnerable <laughs> and, and he, he, pull, he, he does pull a samo uh from uh, dragons forever or does samo pull a Seagal from above the law which came out first i think above the law above did the right law came out first by a few months if not well more so. uh, uh oh, dragons was 89 yeah so once again i don't know the months uh but Hey, you never. Hey, know. They, they're they're both they're both hopped up on. Uh, yes, I said hopped up, hopped up on these uh, three times now, on the hallucinogenics or the the drugs that uh, are being purveyed by Henry Silva and Yunhua, and then uh, they wake up and take care of the villain. Yeah, 
So maybe, maybe did Samo do a, a Seagal homage? There, know. crickets. Uh, crickets. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, shit, I don't know. I don't know. However, sometimes there's just that element of what is it? Synchronicity or whatever. Uh, synchronous, synchronicity. Yeah. Synchronicity. Synch- Synchronicity. Like yeah. Synchronicity. I don't know. Uh, On where, the next like, episode. Just randomly things happen at the same time in different parts of the world, whatever, because the whole sequence in Hard Boiled and Terminator 2 with the like shotgun in the roses. Yes. Apparently, both of them are like, no, I just thought I didn't see the other one yet because they came out around the exact same time. And it was just coincidence. John Woo had not seen Terminator 2, supposedly, and vice versa. James Cameron, I don't know which one was filmed first or whatever, but it's just one of those ideas that came up. Hey, but uh, who knows? Maybe you're right. Maybe they saw it. Maybe they thought, huh, well, you know, if there's one thing we're going to borrow, it's going to be the hopped upness. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, that's that's the movie in a nutshell. It's available on Tubi. Highly recommend you go watch it there. there Tubi's been, because I didn't realize it was on there until you pointed it out because I thought it was just Mark for Death, but they've been adding some of the classics on there. So Tubi right now, you can watch Above the Law. You can watch Mark for Death. You can watch Hard to Kill. Uh, is it just those three right now? Of uh, the classics. So, of, yeah, okay, there. Claire, thanks. For, yeah, I think yeah. it's just those three. And then a bunch of his newer ones are on there, but who knows? Maybe they'll add some more. But... The reason- I, think Ge- I think General Commander might be on there. And in preparation for this episode, uh-huh. I did watch, obviously, we watched some YouTube videos. And I did watch, I think his latest is General Commander, which is an uptick from some of his other latest. Well, I've heard Attrition is an interesting watch. That one, his Did like- you hear that from Seagal himself on uh, the no. Scott Atkins podcast? No, 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 no. Uh, okay. From some other folks. But uh, I'm not going to rent it. I will wait until it's available to stream on one of my many different streaming platforms. But the whole reason Seagal came up in discussion with us is because he's been popping up recently. Obviously, he did that Scott Atkins interview uh, last year or whenever it was during the pandemic, uh, Mm -hmm. which had some interesting nuggets of information or misinformation, depending on what you would like to believe. Clarifying the misinformation. Okay, there you go. Clarifying the misinformation. Uh, when uh, <laughs> well, all I got to say is that Scott Atkins handled that interview brilliantly uh, and nothing but the, the utmost respect for Sensei Sigo. But uh, definitely the, the, the issue is and you've you've seen this a lot sometimes with uh, gentlemen, in the martial arts, whether it's actors, fighters, famous, like any significant people. Uh, they kind of forget that there's this thing now called the internet and there's this thing now called research and interviews you did 20 or 30 years ago are now available. And, you know, it information like pretty much you can catch people in lies or misinformation or, well, it's not what you said before. And memory is an interesting thing. However, that being said, memory doesn't change that much when you're complete. It's a complete contrast from what you once said, but I digress. The reason, one of the main things we saw though is recently he uh, has been featured in a couple of videos uh, by the YouTuber Karate by Jesse, the Karate mm-hmm. Nerd, which is a great channel. I suggest you all check it out. He has some uh, great videos. He did some with uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, one of my favorite uh, MMA fighters. But uh, so he goes to Abu Dhabi with his brother, who's a Bellator fighter. Uh, mm-hmm. a MMA fighter who actually just won. I think he just won, like, whether it was yesterday or today. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, so congratulations to him. But either way, he and his brother Oliver go to Abu Dhabi, I believe, to train with Sensei Seagal. And within these training sessions, you see, once again, Seagal at this point is a much different person than he was in 1988 uh, above the law. To be, and which is makes sense because he's now turning 70 this year i think or just turned 70 so you know uh in that sense it's understandable however physically he is much different than he was before his actual body composition which could definitely have an effect on the aikido type uh movements and delivery and explosiveness but and so he's displaying a lot of martial arts stuff and i think a lot of it is effective and shows that he is very well versed in the martial arts, human anatomy, which you have to be with Aikido. But a lot of these movements and stuff he showed for everything that was like, 
Okay, cool. There's also what I call the snake charmer aspect to it. Now, anybody that's gone to, well, specifically like China and done any sort of traditional Chinese martial arts and even traditional like martial arts anywhere in the world, but this was my experience over there. It's you'll get the whole, I want to demonstrate something on you. Okay, here, I'm going to show you this move or this defense. Oh, well, no, no, no. Hold on. You got to stand this side forward. Oh, no, no, no. You're attacking me with this hand. Oh, no, no, no. You're attacking me from this angle, just like this. Just, okay. Are you ready? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, no. You got remember this hand. You're hitting me with this hand, and do oh, okay. Oh, everyone claps and stuff. And I had an incident like that, which was <laughs> you have to be very patient sometimes, especially when somebody actually is like hitting you like bare knuckle on your head, and you're like, all right, dog, you get one more of those, you do it again. <laughs> I'm gonna punch you in the face. Like, and I had an incident like that in a small town in China where I was going with my son to coach me, his Tai Chi master, and one of his students, kind of a bigger. Chinese guy that was like, oh, he was pretty much calling me pathetic and like, oh, this guy's not a real fighter. Watch, stand there. Watch, watch what happens. Hit me with that hand. And I had to keep my hand down. I was like, he's a hit me with that hand. I'm like, oh my God. So I lift it up, you know, it's like, he knows what's coming, right? And it's a pop about like a crane type strike to the side of my head. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh dog, don't, you know? And then once again, the next day in the park, when it came to full contact sparring and we had the gloves on, I was like, cool, let's go. Not a single one was willing to, that guy included. And I was like, oh, that's funny. And you know, the master's like, oh, somebody must spar with the foreigner. And I'm like, oh, Oh, suddenly nobody wants to, to spar and throw down. And the reason I bring this up is I kindly sort of digress into a troublesome memory. But uh, a lot of these, uh, the demonstrations he was doing, especially against the brother Alber, a Bellator professional MMA fighter, it's like, sure, it works in this setup, in this circumstance. He even tells him not to bounce around at one point, which yeah. anybody, for example, us within the Sugarfoot kickboxing curriculum is the exact opposite. We are always moving. We are always on the ball of the feet. We are always explosive. And even within like karate, that's an element of it, right? You know, bouncing in and out, pop, pop, pop. But you know, he specifically said, no, you don't need to do this bouncing around and this and that. But, uh, and once, once again, though, it's a whole different approach to fighting. But at that same time, a, a lot of the stuff he's showing is against a non, an opponent who's compliant in this sense and of static, grounded. And so it's not to say this stuff doesn't work on at all. It totally does. But at the same time, you can't just rely on taking away everything else and doing just this because that's not how the real world, world works, right? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because, uh, you know, when, when we train with PD and you're, and you're near the end of the day and you're on your 10th, 10th, uh, 10th rep of some combo. Right. And you get a little tired and, and you, I might get a little tired and my hook goes, is a little off. And he's like, you think they're going to be, like, Oh, sorry, 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 dog. You want to, you want to try that again? Are you ready for yeah. it this time? That's not going to happen. Right. And, uh, so the prep, the, the type of preparation we do with, with PD or with, uh, Sifu Don in Vegas, it's not, there isn't that, um, there isn't that element of you do this, hold it here. Now this comes in. It's not like this give and take sequence. With that said, if I'm walking down, Venice Beach with with uh, Steven Seagal, I'm not going to worry. Right. Right. Because most of the people don't know what they're doing. And in a world where people don't know what they're doing and then you're you're with this with with Sensei Seagal. Hey, I'll, I'll let you take the lead on this. Yeah. I mean, right? the, the thing is, it's like sort of like when we're doing PD stuff and let's say we're working with a partner who's less experienced and they mess up or something. And then like PD a lot of time will be like, you know, doc. You know, they go. You think they're going to stay there, or they're going to mess it? That might happen. That might happen in a fight, right? And it's true. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I 100% agree with like what you just said, and uh, I love that you bring up the hook because what does PD always say? Dracula's cape. Dracula's yep. cape. Yeah. You know, and I will find myself sometimes when I'm tired if my hook's getting sloppy. I'm like, no, nah, what's the point then? Got to always have it 100%. But I mean, we're coming up on an hour now, so let's let's wrap up our thoughts. Above the law, Steven Seagal's best movie. Uh, without a doubt, but it's not like you said, it's not like, unfortunately, it's not in comparison to Jeff Speakman in The Perfect Weapon where he made this, his magnum opus first and then everything else afterwards. It was unfortunately kind of a steady, even though I still love a bunch of his movies he did. Seagal's was much more like, yes, he made his best one first, but he had some uh, amazing gems along the way as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so he just, you know, it's not like, oh, he hit his peak too early. It's just his first one right out the gate was his best one. Yeah, first one, first five minutes, like that's a grand slam. That's, I, that's yeah. It, it's like, uh, did Lou Gehrig the first time he was up hit a home run? I don't know. 
I remember he's tripped on some bats and then he went up to the plate. I think he hit a home run. I could be wrong, but this is basically, let's say Lou Gehrig hit a home run. This was Steven Seagal's first time at bat, first five minutes. Absolutely cinematic gold. Cinematic cinematic gold, I tell you. It's gold. We're going to be a star, you hear me? Everything, yeah. else, everything else after that, particularly for a decade, you know, held the standard, held, held the standard. Maybe not, maybe the gold standard fluctuated down a little bit, but it, it held a, a high standard. And I mean, it, I think that, you know, from above the law through under siege, you're talking about two of the greatest martial art films to come out of the West in the nineties. I'm probably overlooking some independent gems, but from like a huge box office perspective, you know, it's really hard to to top that. Mind you, of course, you and I are like watching Gary Daniels films, right. Jeff Wincott films. From the box office, though, you are correct. I mean, because yeah. uh, technically Van Damme's biggest one in the domestic box office was Time Cop. I was going to say Time uh, Cop, yeah. And so, yeah, no, you, you nailed it. But anywho, uh, this was fun. I recommend everybody go watch Above the Law on Tubi while it's free. Just you got some commercials. But any final thoughts? Uh, it, it, it's been a pleasure. Always. As always. As always. I bow to you. Peace, and I baby. bow to you. Peace. <laughs>